0: We actually don't really know what time it is this morning, and I think many of you also do not know what time it is this morning, but we are here. Welcome to Day 13 of 7 a.m. Novelist March, March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. By the way, we were talking to Stephanie Gale last week about overcoming not writing. We were talking about taking notes in the shower, and one of our listeners, Tracy Hahn Burkett, recommends the following. She says, quote, I've long kept a dive slate in the shower, which you can get along with the necessary cleaner at scuba shops at scuba.com. I've never heard of these things, but I think that's perfect. She also says in recent years, right in the rain has come out with a whole line of waterproof notebooks for the outdoors. I keep one of those in the shower now. They have their own website and you can get them at outdoor stores like REI or Amazon. And Tracy hahn did a whole... Um, Post about this on writers uh writer unboxed. And if you guys don't know that website, writerunboxed.com, I would check it out also for uh, great writing articles and information. And so she did a whole article on non-electronic uh writing tools. And so again, that's Tracy Hahn Burkett. And I was just really happy that she recommended that. A dive slate. That's perfect. Don't you th- hank? What do you think? Do you think you'd oh. use a dive slate in the shower?
1: Well, I have an aquapad. It's called an aquapad. And it's a it's a it's paper, it's waterproof paper on little little suction cups, and you slap it up on the shower and it has a, a waterproof pencil that slides through it. And it, it really works. It really works. Um, I I have saved a couple of books by my aquapad because I do agree that I, I heard that podcast. And I I do agree that sometimes it's the water that just makes you, everything else washes away and your brain is somehow free in that sort of alpha state in the shower. And I think if you don't write down the first thing you think of, it's never as good when you, when you rework it. I I know that you think that you're talking about how you sort of self-edit and I don't, I think it's the first one that comes out is always the best. I've
0: I've heard that too. Actually, when, when, when you're most passionate and you're in the mode, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I've I've heard that from other people. All right. If you guys don't know, we're with Hank Phillippe Ryan. Uh, She's one of my favorite writers. And she's also an incredible uh, literary citizen in Boston. She supports so many other writers. So we'd love to support her in return. She's going to be talking to us about escaping the muddle of the middle of your books. Good morning, Hank. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. So Hank Philippi Ryan is the USA Today best-selling author of 14 psychological thrillers, winning the genre's most prestigious awards: five Agathas, Five Antonies, and the coveted Mary Higgins Clark Award. She's also investigative reporter for Boston's WHDH TV, winning. 37 Emmys. National book reviewers call her, quote, a superb and gifted storyteller, unquote. Her newest is the page-turning standalone The House Guest*, a story of psychological manipulation exploring the dark heart of marriage and friendship. It's Gaslight meets Thelma and Louise. I'm very excited about this. I have a copy, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I love, I don't know what it is, but I love standalones from, thrill, from thriller writers. In particular, they seem to be There's just this amazing, sharp, wonderful gift um, that a standalone is. And I particularly love Hank's standalones. So Uh Hank, so so much. We're really excited about this book. She just launched this book. So I would go and check it out and try to find it for yourself, the house guest. Okay. Hank, the muddled middle. (laughs) Why is this such a problem for us writers? And what do you recommend? Well, it's interesting. And first, hello
1: everybody. Hi, Jesse. It's so nice to see your kind words. Thank you. If I look over here, I'm looking at the comments. I'm not looking away from the screen, so I'm just sort of trying to monitor what you say. I, you know, Michelle, any genre, whatever you're writing, um, we start out with this big burst of energy. Oh my golly, I have a great idea for a book. Here I go. You're typing like a crazy person. It's just all. It's all wonderful. Um, And I think when you get up to page (laughs) thirty-six. Is where I mean I always mark page 36 because I think if I can get from page one to page 36, uh, if I can go on to 37 then I have a book then I have a book then, I, then I'm then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fine. But when when you get to about page 75, the steam sort of runs out from this glorious opening. Some of you who are plotters may be able to envision the fabulous ending and the coda, the emotional ending after that but there's this vast uncharted sea of like 200 pages or so and you're thinking what what are my people going to do in in that what are they going to do for all that time i mean in the in chapter 1 i mean in chapter 1 in act 1 You've set up your world, you've set up the characters, you've set up the problem, you've set up the goals that act one is going to have. You you have a compelling problem that they need to solve um, and you can sort of, uh, and and you've got your readers hooked. Yeah. But in act two, again, you've got to keep it be compelling and memorable and a, still a page turner, no matter what genre you have. And so it, it's, it's the time to, it's, this is for the, not for the faint of heart, you know, act two, it's what we're really talking about. Act two is not for the faint of heart. If act one is, I call that, wow, that's strange. Something that happens that puts your characters in disequilibrium. That's act one and act three is, oh, so that's what happened. Then you've got act two, which is yikes. Now what? And sort of I never expected that and that's what goes into act two. So they sometimes as you said they sometimes call act two the muddle in the middle. So let me say first of all we know when we've hit the muddle in the middle because it's what it's the days that you think wow this is boring you know or I don't know what goes now what do I do and we tend to really hit a wall in act two because it seems it seems so vast. So I've got a way' I'll, I've got a way that will always get you through Act 2 and, <laughs> uh, and it's not a formula, but it is a system that I've come up with after all my I just sent it in book 15 um, That does seem to help. So let me tell you that and then if we have time and I know we will, um, let me just give you a list, a really practical list of things you can think about just specific, very specific things that you can think, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And maybe they will give you, that will give you some idea. So my, my, my way of getting people in the novel going, what you want to do is keep the novel going. What you want to do is have an engine that's driving your novel all the time, forward motion, narrative thrust, advance the story, whatever you wanna call it, that's what sort of, that's what's difficult in act two. That's what's difficult. So here's a way of doing it. And if you um, think of it as a series of five steps, a series of five steps, they're sort of um, a repeating and varying series of five specific segments. It's not a formula, as I keep saying, it's just a way of thinking about what now, what now, what now? And one of the problems, let me say quickly with the, with the middle sometimes, is that it becomes episodic. Then they did this, then they did this, then they did this, then they did this. And you don't want that. You want things to happen in your novel. You want things to happen because of something. Because of this, they do this. Because of this, this happens. And so that makes it not be just a series of chapters. That makes it be this seamless thing that doesn't feel like a book. It feels like real life. So how do we do that? Step one. Ask in what you get to it. You you know you sit like you're like chapter eleven. What do I do? Yeah. You ask your you ask yourself what does my character want? What does my character want in this Hank segment? What does my character want? It can be as big as stopping the bad guy from blowing up the universe, in general, or it can be as small as getting a glass of water. What does my character want? Each step in the Hank segment has a goal and at the end of the go- at the end of the segment that goal will either be reached or not but and more on that in a minute but if they don't want something there's no reason for them to do anything and that's the key so step 1 what does my character want step 2 is ask yourself why does my character want that let's talk you know let's talk about a glass of water if they don't have the glass of water they'll die of thirst. If they don't have the glass of water, they will not be able to take their pill and then they'll die. I mean, it, it, or if they don't stop the guy with the, the bad guy with the, the nuclear button, they'll die and so will everyone else. What is it that they want and why? What are the consequences if they don't do what this thing is that they want to do?
0: And these so, are things. Both of these are things that you want to be thinking about from the very beginning of the book. They're kind of you know full book questions. Sure. But you're, well, you're talking about like in the moment as well. And I, I always remind students, you know, like in every scene, you know, what is the intention of the characters? What because otherwise the the scene is going to completely fall apart. And then yes. that that deeper feeling of why do they want it, which is the deeper kind of character driven, thematic driven you know, the reason why we fall in love with the character in the first place. Um, it might have to do with their backstory and their past and everything. So it's it's connected to what you've already had at the beginning of the book, but it's more specific now is what you're and saying. And I think
1: that there's the, I think there's the the universal arc of wants that what the book is about. There's a theme of the book, whether someone wants peace or happiness or love or redemption or, you know, uh, quiet. I, the The big arc of the book, Remains, But I'm talking about very specifically yeah. in the middle of the book, how to keep it going. These little tiny segmented ones will be all will be part of the puzzle of the big arc of once. But so these specific ones are what we need to get through act two. Right. And it's a way of breaking down the novel. So it doesn't seem like this vast 250 pages, but it seems like one step at a time one logical, meaningful, thematic step at a time that reveals the character's personality as they they go. So what do they want? Why do they want it? And then step three in the Hank, Hank segments is how do they decide what to do? There's this moment of their, their brain is working and we as authors can use that to reveal their character, their personality and their setting and the time um, and everybody else that's involved in the story. how did the people how does your character decide what to do? you know do they do the, the lovely selfless, charitable, benign, benevolent helpful thing? Does the character do the venal evil, selfish, terrible, destructive thing and through, that decision-making process, we the character is revealed. So now we've got a specific want and a specific re- the motivation for the want and a revelation of the of the character's psychology and personality and decision-making process.
0: And do you start- say that mm-hmm. in interiority? Um, like, so I mean, basically, Hamlet is him deciding what to do. So you can feel
1: yes <laughs> can feel in, in, like the, in the in big- the in the big picture, in the big picture, Hamlet is deciding what to do, but yeah. he needs to decide what to do about his, about his mother, about Ophelia, about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, about, you know, how, how to handle each, each segment of his bigger want, which is, you know, to, to be angry at his, at, at his father for marrying, whatever it was that happened. So, uh, and to just I- to, to decide whether to live, you know, whether he yeah. can stand, you know, to shuffle off the mortal coil or to stay and be
0: in Denmark.
1: Uh, so, the reason,
0: yeah, the reason why I ask this is so I'll have I'll have students that are in this decision, mode, and they'll f- fill page after page after page of the character thinking, what do I do? <laughs> and, and it's this, it's, it's highly internal. It is interiority, but we get lost in this internal miasma.
1: And here's where the Hank segments, and here's where the Hank segments will get you out of that. Because if we, if we know what someone wants, if we know why they want it, if we know they decide what to do, and it's not in, in the big Shakespearean arc of what's going to happen in Hamlet, but that moment at that very moment, they do something. Yeah. Whether it's to tell Ophelia to go away, whether it's to send Rosencrantz and Guildenstern away, you know, whether it's to hide behind the, the, the curtain, um, they decide what to do. So there's your action. There's built in action in the Hank segments, because I agree with you that you don't want what I always call bog sat, which <laughs> is a is bunch of guys sitting around talking. Uh... And it, it, and if you have bog sat in your story where people are at the coffee shop or at the dinner table or in the bathtub or, you know, getting ready to go to sleep and they're thinking, thinking, thinking. And then they have flashbacks and all the philosophy. And you're like, just because what are you saying in any kind of novel? At that point, you're saying, is something going to happen soon? Yeah. And what the, these five steps will allow you is for something to happen because that when the minute the character takes action, something is happening. So what do they want? Why? Then they decide how to get it. Then they do it. Then they try it. And then there's an obstacle. Then something happens. So it doesn't work. Remember what will happen if they fail and there wouldn't be a book if they succeeded along the way. Right. So they want something. They they go after it. They do it. They and then briefly something is in their way. And what do they have to do then when something stops them from what they want? they have to think ooh now what am i going to do now what do i need now what do i want because this obstacle happened i need to regroup and think of what else to do um what do i want to do to solve the problem that this obstacle has solved hmm i need to do that because well this is what i could do i could do x y and z no i'm going to do a i'm going to do that and then they're stopped again so again <laughs> thank you amy bogsat yeah it's really funny um it, again in the in the umbrella arc of the whole theme of the story, these are simply the steps along the way. What does someone want? Ask yourself in the middle, okay, what is this scene for? What is this, What is what work in my novel yeah. is the scene doing? And then you think, what does someone want? Why do they want it? What might they do? And what does that reveal psychologically? Then they do it and then there's an obstacle. And I think that so sometimes um, it's it's so what we have is goal, motivation, decision making, action and obstacle. And it it really is freeing to think, what does someone want right now? What does someone need to do right now? And when you get that verb do, then your then your book moves ahead and you don't have as you as the anathema is that. You know, that pages and pages of interiority where it's fun to write and sometimes it's revealing, but it's not fun to read, you know, and, you know, our goal is to have people not to not put your book down. Mm -hmm. And so if our goal is to have people not put our books down, don't write the stuff that our people are going to be bored. If you're bored reading it, you know, if, if you think, oh, yeah, or even in editing, when you think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'll just skip that then you think, ah, maybe there's a reason that I'm skipping that. You know, maybe I don't, maybe I don't think, maybe I don't need to read it because maybe the book doesn't need it. So I can quickly, if you want, give you a list of things um, that you can use for those obstacles. Great. And, you know, and that's key too. So you could, here's some questions you can ask yourself when you're, what does someone want as an obstacle? You can ask, Who, who's that guy? somebody arrives, somebody arrives. Uh, Introduce a new character, maybe an ally or a good guy or a helper or an information carrier, someone who pushes over some dominoes um, in the book, someone rearranges the story or someone leaves. Someone leaves town or leaves their orbit or walks out the door um, or doesn't show up or disappears. I mean, think of all the things that could happen when someone who is expected... When someone who is expected arrives or doesn't arrive, or someone who is expected to be there leaves unexpectedly, something unexpected happens with a person. And that can be an obstacle, which prevents the per- per- prevents your main character from doing what they want to do. Oh, no, she's not home. Oh, no, he didn't answer. Oh, no, where did you go? Oh, no, who are you? So introduce a new character. You can introduce an antagonist as well, someone who actively raises an obstacle, a new boss, a sinister new colleague, a long lost relative, a friend or an acquaintance, or even a stranger. Maybe it's not even a person who arrives as an antagonist. Maybe it's a dog. I mean, who knows? It's just someone who, what we're looking for is disequilibrium because we're looking for an obstacle to stop our character from getting what they want. Um, change the setting. Put your character somewhere else. Get your s- character to someplace new and challenging and unexpected and interesting and difficult, which will present obstacles instantly and new challenges. Even getting to the place that they need to go provides an obstacle. Um, you have something, have something different, like a big twist or a reveal or an unexpected turn of events. Your character was headed to a destination and... It's And you don't get there and the bus breaks down or the Uber breaks down or it starts to pour or there's a snowstorm or they lose a shoe or their shoelace breaks or their heel breaks or something, some sort of thing that happens to them on the journey. Um, A small to medium disaster, a small to medium, doesn't have to be a big deal, doesn't have to be nuclear war. It can just be, you know, they lose their, their reading glasses or the lights go out, or there's a huge storm, or a car accident, or a job loss, or some seemingly unrelated disaster that happens that prevents someone else from doing what they wanna do, and that as a result, your character can't do that. Um, quickly, quickly, the um, you could have someone get sick, you know, have, have or hurt, or pretend to be sick, or pretend to be hurt. Again, your character wants something, And because of that, they do something, but something happens to stop that. And then when they have to make a decision about what to do after that, then you get another set of five steps and your book is, your book will continue and your book will continue as I keep saying, and I think this is so important because of something, not this episodic author convenience contrived made up thing that you're doing because you need to fill these 200 pages But because of desire, because of motivation, because of need, which, again, fills the overarching umbrella need quickly, you could have um, you could have a big disaster. You could say, help, help, have a fire or an earthquake, (coughs) a blizzard or a puddle or the blizzard that didn't happen. I mean, how many of us have gotten ready, stocked up, battened down for the for the blizzard that's supposed to happen? Then it doesn't happen. And then what happens? Then then what do we do? there's sex, (laughs) there's sex, there's violence, there's misunderstanding, there's an argument, there's a fight, you know, either, you know, an emotional fight or a physical fight. Have someone make a mistake, have someone make the really wrong decision. So because of something that they did, something really unexpected uh, happens. Uh, so what will happen you know if they make a mistake if they have a misperception what will happen as a result of their misperception who will show up to fix it and not fix it who will try to help who will who will try to make it worse and as you do that your story will be revealed and the key to the five steps what someone wants why they want it how they decide what to do what action they take and what obstacle they hit always ask yourself what will happen if my character fails? What will happen if my character fails? So that throughout these steps, there are stakes, there are stakes to the character. And that means that whatever they're doing matters. And if it matters to the character, then it matters to the reader and your story will just take off.
0: Awesome. I mean, so I always think in terms of, if you guys want to, uh, a perfect example of an episodic plot, just look at maybe the second season of Downtown Abbey, um, where the writers, I think they must have gotten new writers or they got cheaper writers or something, but every episode, introduces a problem the problem is solved by the end of the episode and there's no reason to go into the next episode Um, and they just begin to throw problems at the characters because they're trying desperately to keep the series going and it gets very very dull Um, so that's a perfect um, example of badly written episodes um and, and I, think I think that i mean you feel that and i think that's really
1: wise of you because i think what that what that lost i mean it was fun to watch and you know when you watch a series you're watching it to see what adventures the character has just like writing a series of mysteries you're you're latched onto your you're, you're you know connected with the characters and you're interested interested to see what happens to them next but it you know it is very episodic and there are no dominoes and what you want in your book is the feeling of that the dominoes are falling which means they're all connected to each other and they all have a bigger meaning right. uh, and in downton abbey we were, because it's sort of a sl- it was sort of a slice of life yeah uh, it's what happens every day and with without that overarching umbrella of theme Of what a a character really is going for at the end, which you have in a good novel. I mean, in the end of a novel, you want people to say, Oh, yeah, that's so good. That's exactly what should have happened. In in psychological suspense, you want someone to say, Oh, I never saw that coming, but I should have. Uh, But in it is set, I mean, you want the satisfaction of the ending of a novel where it feels like all those pieces, all those segments of five things were linked for a reason. And here, here's what happens at the end after this journey, this meaningful journey um, that we all took together and we were all interested in because we were enticed along the way by by the sort of, here's another way of looking at it. In In every fairy tale, in many fairy tales, there's like essentially the path through the woods and the character is sort of following gold coins that are left along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think of these segments as, ooh, what's going to be the next gold coin that's going to keep my reader walking through the woods? And then you find another one. Ooh, I love that. And then you keep thinking the next one is close. And then you do, the story reveals another gold coin, a little gem, a jewel of of a scene or a jewel of meaning that keeps the reader reading. And that's what we're going for. In the middle so don't think of it as this vast 200 pages of oh my golly what i'm going am i going to do think of it as a series of interlocking uh yes yes adventures that have interlocking meaning and each of those segments um is a each of those segments is a little bit of the a little bit of the journey of the big journey they all interlock together
0: yeah so some things to think about too um one great way to avoid bogsat is to make sure that you've got a clock because so that the characters can't actually be sitting around thinking for too long or talking to each other about making decisions because they have to make a decision whether it's a bad decision or not and i often find that writers will write long passages of decision making when they themselves don't quite understand their character yet so they're explaining their character to themselves which can be okay in the drafting but you usually have to take that thing out but mean, going that- back to Yeah, go
1: ahead. It's just so funny. I'm just smiling in in agreement because I sometimes I don't I don't have an outline for my novels. And so I write usually twenty five thousand words more. Then uh, I will ever need, and I know I'm doing it when I'm doing it, and I know that it will have to come out. I'm delighted to take it out, but so often it's exactly what you said: is that it's sort of me deciding what the character is going to do. And I, as I'm writing it, I think this is not them asking questions; this is me asking questions, yeah. and that's fine. I, I, I just write it, but then I take it out. I'm, I'm very aware of that of uh, its if it's of its me making the decision, not the not the um, character making the decision. But but at the end of it, I get to it. Yes. And then I just take out everything that preceded it.
0: Yes. Yes. So sometimes you have to do that thinking on the page. So I want to get back to this idea of path through the woods. And I do think that fairy tales, the the plotting of fairy tales is are usually exquisite because they were told in front of live audiences and, and had to constantly remain interesting and were constantly revised. So the path through the woods, I think is a good metaphor to think about because you could throw all sorts of obstacles at your characters, but if they aren't organic or or innate, it will begin to feel episodic. It'll also begin to feel that kind of deus ex machina, like like some other God figures throwing in problems that aren't really connected to the character, that aren't really connected to the story. So thinking about those obstacles, maybe in in thinking about what you already have, I always think also of the idea um, that my students oftentimes repeat is this idea of the impossible made inevitable that what happens by the end of the book would have you couldn't, couldn't have possibly forecasted it. But because you've laid those gold, gold coins along the path of the woods along the way perfectly, the reader is like, oh, this is the only way this could have happened. This is the only way this could have gone. But I didn't guess it ahead of time. So one of our questions in the chat goes along this how do you ensure that those obstacles you're creating are organic to the story? You know, we've got all these ideas for obstacles to, to throw them. So how do we, how do we know that they aren't just introduced um, out of nowhere?
1: Well, it's interesting because what you're writing is a real world with real people where real things are happening. It isn't the author's convenience to, throw a monkey wrench into what happens. It's what would really happen. So if you're asking yourself, what does someone really want and why? When they're deciding what to do, they're deciding within the realm of the setting and the other characters, and the theme of the novel and what, and what equipment they have for this, what milieu they're in. So if you think of your own life, the things that happen in your own life, you know, if you, if you would have left 10 seconds later, you wouldn't have hit the red light. If you, if you'd left 10 seconds earlier, um, you would have made the train, you know, all those kinds of things that actually would happen. You you know, you, You have all of that in your, you have all of that because you have, you have all of it already in your novel because you have real life. So you have this cabinet of real life to choose from. So what real things happen to real people? There are endless numbers of things that happen to real people. So as you're raising the stakes in the book, the the difficulties of the obstacles will probably increase along the way. So if you start out with somebody losing their reading glasses or missing lunch and wind up with the power going out or someone being in a car accident, I mean, the the stakes can get bigger. So I think uh, the, the way to not have it feel contrived is to think about what would really happen what could really happen to someone. And when the more natural it feels than the, to you and in the milieu of the novel, the more natural it's going to feel to the reader. I mean, I, I you know, that you were talking about fairy tales and you think about there's the character who wants something, who goes on a journey and the people they meet along the way, the magician and the wizard and the knight and the, you know, the child and the and the animal who speaks and you know this the handsome stranger and the scary stranger and the you know that's a journey it's a journey and that's what a fairy tale is a journey um, until the final battle Mm -hmm. and, and then the result and that you know every character in a fairy tale wants something Um, I mean, look at in like into the woods into the in the play into the woods, every one of those characters is on the way to something wanting something they meet obstacles along the way, and they have to make decisions. So that's what your book is as as
0: well. Yeah. And you're really looking for it. Cause I do think when we are thinking about these things, we'll come up with all sorts of crazy ideas. So really also kind of going gut instinct, is this natural to my characters? Is this natural to the world? Because I think if you're paying attention, you can tell if it, if it's truly off. And then again, I always, I oftentimes refer to as Hansel and Gretel. If you think about what's organic to the plot. So notice that, that um, house of candy doesn't appear out of nowhere. It appears because the children are starving. Um, and so notice that that is like the perp- perfect encapsulation of what they want, except that becomes like the perfect wrong thing. And you have the witch in that house, which is basically a continuation or a repetition of the stepmother that stepped them, sent them into the woods already. So she's already there. So if, you, if you're if you looking back to, okay, what, what do I already have or what have I planted or, or what's natural to my characters or characters' world? You can find it instead of introducing UFOs and, um, I don't know.
1: I mean, if- remember your genre as well. If you're yeah. writing if you're writing book club fiction or psychological fiction or science fiction or whatever it is, it will be it's something that's going to be natural to your world. So yeah. you're not going to bring in zombies into psychological fiction i mean that's awkward and unnatural and you would and you would you would not do that right you would yes. you would instantly laugh at that even though there are moments when i think i don't know aliens i don't know what's going to happen in this book but i laugh because of course that's not seamless that's not natural that's not logical that's not organic that's not what would really happen to my person in my kind of book
0: yeah yeah and so you can and there's ones that aren't as preposterous that you'll think of so just try kind to of- pay attention to your gut instinct. At first you might get excited by it and go, oh, that's fun, that's cool, but it's just, it'll feel wrong. Okay we got to wrap up. I've got to let Hank go. Um, Remember that you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You subscribe there for updates and taking part in the discussion, and you can still join our live daily webinars in March. Just email me at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can also find podcast versions of all these webinars on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Okay, Hank, we're going to have to let you go, but are you going to be able to get some writing done today?
1: I'm so excited. I'm on, I was on a plane yesterday on the, I'm on book tour. I was on a plane on the way home finally yesterday, and I had a good idea and I cannot wait to get to the computer. There is nothing better than having a good idea. And I think I picked something. So the minute, the minute we leave each other today, I'm going to start doing it. And I hope you all will
0: do that. And planes are helpful. (laughs) Yes. Planes are the best. My, my very favorite. Excellent. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great writing day. Love you all.